0: The following is a teaching message from the chapel in Atatū. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz Father God, it is an incredible privilege to come and stand together as the body of Christ. to stand together with believers from around the world and throughout the centuries, who have in good times and often in very, very tough times and very tough places have knelt or have stood to worship you, to sing your praise. Give glory to the King of kings and Lord of lords. May we never lose sight. In fact, may we gain fresh insight into the incredible privilege that is ours in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. A few weeks ago, um, I went to a seminar that Margaret had organised and they were talking about what replenishes you. And uh, when we went through the exercise, there were two things at the top of my list of what replenishes me. and One was a long drive. And the other was sitting down with a couple of people just to have a really good kororo, really good discussion, particularly about the kingdom. And so uh, Friday was a good day for me. Had the privilege again of driving from here out to Wauku and spending time with Minnika particularly, uh, catching up with David, and David and Minnika send their greetings and their love, and you can pick it in Minnika's voice, you'd still be very, very happy living just up the road, but God's got a different plan, so I also met Mel on Friday, and uh, Mel's been a worship leader at the church that Minnika and David have been attending. Mel is Tongan, uh, similar age to Minica, I would guess. Um, And she's one of a growing number of people who are having a dissatisfaction with church, with just doing the tiny little church thing of coming together and uh, following a routine, following a prescription. I thought of you, Chris, because she. Talk as a worship leader about the frustration when it all becomes about, is the sound just right? Is everything timed just right? And it's like, actually, it's nothing to do with that. It's all about him. It's all about the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And that's what encouraged me again, thinking back to last Sunday, as people are thinking outside of this being church and realising that when we go out, we have these conversations and they're part of being church. And then this morning is and he's giving away all the chocolates. I'm going, that's actually what the kingdom's about, not the chocolates so much, but the opportunity to to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who rejoice, to celebrate together and pray for one another. I'm excited to see what God is doing. Throughout this nation, there is a growing dissatisfaction with simply being church. So, Gay, thank you for the word you brought. Because, you know, that first song that we sang in that bracket, I see a generation rising up to take their place with selfless faith. There's a book over there on the shelf somewhere. I'll grab the other copy of it. It's called The Heavenly Man. Back in 2005, 2006, when it was first coming available, I sold it by the box load from Bible League. And I got lots of recommendations to read it. I started reading it yesterday because Minica prompted me on Friday. So I came into the chapel Friday afternoon. Started reading it Friday night. Came in here, picked up the copy and started reading it. It is messing with my heart. Brother Yun was a fourteen or fifteen year old boy in communist China who God raised up and the stories could easily have come out of the things we're reading out of scripture. And it challenges you to have a big faith which isn't hard when you realise that we have a big God. And so the stories that we're part of are huge. The calling on our lives is huge. And I'm reminded of that again as we read through these stories. And this morning we are in Isaac and Rebekah. And uh, as we turn to Genesis 24, it says that Abraham was now very old. And the Lord had blessed him in every way. Again, as I said last week, this is a generation that is coming to an end. Last Sunday, Sarah had passed away and was buried. But at around 137 years of age, or maybe a little bit over that, Abraham's life is approaching its end, but not as close as he might think. There are things still ahead. But he also knows that God has promised things to him that must come to pass. God has promised him a land, a land, land of the Canaanites and he's promised them descendants, too many to count. And I think about that and I'm thinking, what God promised Abraham was mind blowing. And we want to settle for the the little things that we have when God wants so much more. We might be tempted to speak of Abraham's story but Abraham realised that his story was part of of a much, much bigger story. As I said at the time, there are those who believe that Abraham, when he was a young boy, spent time talking with Noah. And if you follow the timelines, there's a a possibility that they talked. And so you follow it back that Abraham had a full sense of history back to Adam and Eve in the garden. But he wasn't just looking back. They were told in Hebrews that by faith Abraham when called to go to a place that he would later receive as his inheritance. He obeyed and he went even though he did not know where he was going. It's hard going on a journey. Like, if you're spontaneous, that might be fun. You know, pick up your bags and a bit of money and, and head off somewhere. But for those of us who like to have, you know, when I, when I fly, Margaret just arrives at the airport And I've got all the maps for every airport that we're going to transit through. But by faith he made us home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. He was looking way past our time. He was looking to God's eternal purposes. and now having buried his wife Sarah in a cave at the end of the field, and whether it was under the direct leading of God, which I believe it was, or whether he just felt it was the right thing to do, Abraham initiates a search for a wife for Isaac. After all, if he's going to have descendants as numerous as, now that God's given him son Isaac back to him, then surely the next step is the wife. And I believe, however, it was a directive from God. But I believe that having lived so long among the Canaanites and and seen the way in which their lives were lived and the increasing idolatry that would one day see them wiped from the land, I'm sure Abraham wanted better for his son. He knew the idolatrous ways of the Canaanites and he knew that there was better to be had among his own family. In fact, as we read two weeks ago, his brother Nahor had a granddaughter, Rebecca. This is what Abraham was told. He may have been told more, but from simple reading of the text, it seems to me that Abraham had been told this and only this, because this is all he needed to know. He didn't need to know about all the other grandsons and granddaughters and so on. He needed to know that there was the a Rebekah. For Rebekah was God's chosen wife for Isaac. And so we're told that Abraham said to his senior servant of the household, the one in charge of all he had, put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord God of heaven, the God of the earth, that you will get, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I am living, but that you will go to the country, uh, to my country and my relatives, and get a wife for my son Isaac. There's nothing to say for sure, but I did a quick check, and it seems I'm not the only person who wondered if that senior servant was one we had met earlier, Eliezer of Damascus, the one who Abraham thought would be the the inheritor of all he had before Ishmael was born and before Isaac was born. Whether or not the privilege and responsibility that rested on this servant he's charged with finding a wife for Isaac, through whom God's promise to Abraham would be fulfilled. He not only needs to find a wife who is acceptable to Abraham as his daughter-in-law or acceptable to Isaac as his wife but he needs to find a wife for Isaac who is acceptable to God. No pressure. The servant asked him, what if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I take your son back to the country you came from? Make sure you do not take him back there. Abraham said, The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land, and who spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying to your offspring, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. You see, this reference, I don't think Abraham's looking for a woman. He's looking for the woman. He knows that God has one woman in mind. And I suspect Abraham knows that woman is Rebecca. This is a journey to find a woman who will be. It's not a journey to find a woman who will become a wife. This is the journey to find the woman who will become the wife for Isaac and all the servant knows is the town where she lives actually he also knows that he's not to take Isaac back there under any circumstance but underpinning all of this is this conviction that God has a plan that God is working out his purposes this knowledge that God will send an angel a messenger on ahead to prepare the way and to ensure success So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. Then the servant left, taking with him ten of his master's camels, loaded with all kinds of good things for the master. And he set out from Aram Nahiram and made his way to the town of Nahor. Before the servant leaves, Abraham makes him swear an oath by putting his hand under Abraham's thigh. And I thought, well, what's the symbolism in that? And so for us, we may place our hand on a Bible when swearing an oath in a court case or similar. But there's two possible visuals. One is that Abraham is sitting down and that the hand is placed under Abraham's thigh and it's an act of submission. But more likely, and I believe this, is that Abraham was standing and the hand was placed there because the promise, the oath that was being made was against the, the promised seed of Abraham. All that God had promised Abraham would come from him, all of those descendants, and by the circumcision, this was not to be taken lightly. we also see that the servant understands just how significant and serious this oath is because he does not want to be held to the oath if the woman says, I'm not coming, which seems a fairly reasonable possibility. There seems no doubt that he will find the woman, but only the question is whether she will come. And so taking the ten camels and all the necessary supplies and gifts for the journey, the servant is on his way, arriving in due time. And we're told that he had the camels kneel down near the wells outside the town. It was towards evening, the time that the women go to draw water. Then he prayed, Lord God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master. See, I'm standing beside the spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink. And she says, drink and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one that you have chosen for my servant Isaac. And this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. don't know how much of this is obedience whether God had said this is the rule, the process you're to follow or whether the servant's just kind of smart that if you're looking for a A good wife for a young man. You know that all the young women of town are going to be coming out to the well at that time of night or that time of the evening. And so you want to be in the right place. But having a good plan is not enough. And so the servant prays even if the plan is initiated by God, continuing uh, to follow the plan in prayer is critical. He would ask a young woman for a drink. And if she's the kind of young woman who would make a great wife for Abraham, or for Isaac, I mean, then she would offer him not only a drink, but a drink for all his camels. And so I did a quick bit of research. Your average camel can drink somewhere between one and two hundred litres. So for ten camels, she's offering not only to give the servant a drink, but she will offer water for one to two thousand litres of water for ten camels. That's some kind of wife. And so he prays, Lord God, of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. And before he had finished praying, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. The woman was very beautiful, a virgin no man had ever slept with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, Please give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels too until they haven't had enough to drink. So so she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough for all his camels. That's not turning a tap on and filling up the bucket. That's drawing the water. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring weighing a becker and two gold bracelets weighing 10 shekels. Then not only has his search been successful, but God's hand has been so much on every detail of the journey. The servant has barely finished praying, and God answers. When um, Beth, May last year, approached Chloe about coming, would she be interested in coming and helping out with that? Kids and youth ministries. Chloe's response was, "That's like an answer to prayer." Before I even prayed it, she was about to ask God, "How can I uh, expand my exposure and opportunities for as I prepare now to become a teacher?" And God was answering prayer. And so, they have two final questions that are asked: Whose daughter are you? And is there somewhere at your home, at your father's house, for us to spend the night? And she answered him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, that Milcah bought to Nahor. And she added, We have plenty of straw and fodder, as well as a room for you to spend the night. And then the man bowed down and worshipped the Lord saying, Praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on this journey to the house of my master's relatives. This is the woman that he was looking for, and he is now invited and welcome to stay. The story, this full chapter, chapter 24, will be, our focus for today and for the next three Sundays. Usually when I plan out the series, I go just simply by the headings in my Bible, and it's a nice, simple way to do it, but this week there's 67 verses, so it's a very long Sunday if we tracked it all today. And so I simply entitled this section, A Servant Scent. However, last Sunday as we were worshipping, I was getting ready for my message last Sunday and I was standing here facing that way and singing and the phrase came to my mind, Servant sent to get a bride for the son of the promise. It's not an original thought. It's commentators will bring this from the story, but it really felt that this was the thing that God wants us to take away from this story. See, we can see and go, wow, that was incredible that God was able to lead Abraham's servant on that journey to find that the first person who came out to gather water and who was willing to offer water to his camels was Rebecca, who Abraham had taught about. That's an amazing story. And we would come on a Sunday, we'd probably get two chocolates for a story like that. But like Abraham, we need to remember this is part of a much, much bigger story. Because there is something of this echoed in the bigger picture of God's story. Where you and I are the servants. And we are being sent to find a bride for the son of the promise we are being sent to gather the bride of Christ. This whole thing about evangelism and discipleship, we've actually kind of made it kind of small because we've made it about getting lost people saved. And that's part of the picture. Jesus said there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. And he said he himself had come to seek and to save the lost. But there is a much bigger picture. In fact, there's a couple of much bigger pictures. Because the church is the bride of Christ. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, I am jealous for you, with a godly jealousy, I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. And if you read through the Old Testament time and again, the nation of Israel is seen like the wife of God, but an unfaithful wife. And here's Paul going to these Christians in Corinth, I have pledged you to your husband Christ. In Revelation 19, we're told, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! For the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. That's an interesting catch in there too. The bride has made herself ready. And then in Ephesians, we're told that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain, wrinkle, or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So we have to prepare ourselves, and God also, Jesus, is preparing us for himself by washing with the word. We have been sent to find a bride for Christ. We are part of the bride of Christ, But there are other members of the Bride of Christ out there. And we are being sent to them. The much bigger picture again is that we are worshippers with all of creation. Of the one who created all things. Who God is alone, worthy of worship. And so we're not just reaching the lost. We're not just finding a bride for Christ. We are looking to raise up the greatest choir of all time to worship our God. And we go, oh, we get to stand and sing. I had one lady say to me, you know, if I've got to spend all the eternity sitting on a cloud playing a harp, singing songs, she says, I'm not sure I want to go. And part of me is going, well, I get what you're saying, but I'm not sure what you get, what it's like to stand there before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, before the Creator of the universe. So here's this servant, he sees that God has been faithful to his Master, and what does he go? He goes, great you know, I can go back home safely. No, he just worships God. When you realize that God is in the house, when you have been in the presence of God. And so I can't begin to imagine what heaven is like. But to be, to live daily in the presence of the King of Kings, to live daily in the presence of God himself, I don't think worship will be, oh, do we have to do that again? so we are worshippers we're looking for more worshippers for the father and we're looking for the bride for christ and jesus gives us plans he gives us for example in luke 9 1 to 6 he sends out the 12 and in luke 10 verses 1 to 11 he sends out the 72 and there's some there's some things we can learn in those passages about how we can go and find the lost we can go and gather the bride. And then in John 4, 1 to 42, we have this story of the Samaritan woman at the well, another woman at another well. And we see how Jesus used that moment to gather others to himself. I'd encourage you to take some time. Write down, if you write nothing, if you take nothing away from this morning, write down those three Bible passages and go home and spend some time reading and reflecting on what they tell us. About how we can be the servant in search of the Bride of Christ. God is a God who seeks and he is a God who sins. And in Matthew 28 he says, "Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. And we so easily make that about how we can grow our church or how we can tick the evangelism box. But this is gathering worshippers for the King of Kings. This is gathering the Bride of Christ. And he makes a promise. Surely I am with you always to the end of the very very end of the age. When Abraham's servant went out, the angel went ahead of him. When Jesus sends us out, he comes with us. And he says in Acts eight, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And how often I've watched over the years is when the Holy Spirit comes upon us in power, we have this really fun time together. When the Holy Spirit comes upon us in power, it may begin in a place like this, but it must overflow into our community because our God is a God who sends and who searches. Imagine the honor and privilege of being Abraham's servant who was sent to follow an angel to find the bride for the son of the promise. we have that same privilege and that same responsibility. And sometimes I think we forget just what a privilege that is. We make it about so many other things, like the sound system and whatever. But Jesus not only sends us he not only commands the search, he plans the search. And he is also the one who guides the search. And all we need to do is learn to listen and obey. Jesus did that. He said, very truly, I tell you, the son, of, the son can do nothing by himself, but he can only do what he sees the father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. And then he says, for I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. If that was true for Jesus, Jesus didn't come with a, with a, a job description, with a brief. Go and do that, and, and, and I'll see you when you come back. He continually listened for the Father. He continually looked to see what God was doing. So when we ask those two questions, what do you hear God saying? You know that spot on a Sunday morning? So what have you heard God saying this week? And What have you seen God doing? They're not just two questions. As followers of Jesus, if those two questions guided everything that Jesus did, What do I see my father doing, and what do I hear my father saying? Then, how much more should we allow those questions to guide us every step of the way? Then, we don't need to worry so much about the plan other than to listen and to walk in obedience. And it's not just a good idea, we are gathering worshippers for the father and a bride for Jesus Christ, his Son. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message from The Chapel in Atatū. For more information about The Chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz or email info at thechapel.org.nz.